Welcome in to the Otzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And on this Friday, we are doing a podcast, kind of an extension of Wednesdays. Um, we didn't do a mailbag. And that's just because we went to Pac-12 Media Day and there's just so much to talk about that we realized uh, we did not want to do a two-hour podcast while as awesome as that might be for some of you, we also realize that you know there are others out there who don't want to listen to a two-hour show. So we've kind of broken things up a little bit. This is a continuation of Media Day and what we've learned. And the first one, if if you didn't read, if you didn't read it, if you didn't listen to it, uh, a lot of big picture type stuff on the conference. Um, our thoughts on what George Klopkoff, Oregon, or the Pac-12's new commissioner discussed. We've also got some stuff on some comments from Crystal Ball about the quarterbacks and how Anthony Brown's the number one. But it, so if you haven't listened to it, go back, listen to that. Um, after you're done listening to this one, uh, you don't have to listen to one to be up to speed on the next. Uh, but there's just a ton of good stuff in there as well. But on this one, Eric, um, there's a lot to get to and and we're going to stay with the quarterback room um, because crystal ball did go out and say that, Hey, Anthony Brown's taking the ones uh, going into fall camp. He's in charge of it. It's his to lose. Not really that breaking news Um, that that's, that was expected, right? We felt like that was what we were thinking. But then he also opened up a little bit about Ty Thompson. And if you're unfamiliar with who Ty Thompson is, uh, he is one of the verbal commitments from the 2021 recruiting class uh, and is one of the program's highest rated commits in, in program history. And at the quarterback position, he is the highest rated quarterback in program history. And, and so Crystal Ball opened up about his prospects and just kind of where he sits within the depth chart, because I think a lot of people when Eric, when he signed kind of viewed him as maybe the number one guy in 2021. There was a sense of that from the same contingent of fans that think Jackson powers Johnson is going to start over Alex Forsyth and right that a bunch of these freshman receivers are going to immediately start, et cetera. And I'm not trying to totally discount the notion that like Thompson was going to challenge to start, but I always thought it was a bit of a pipe dream to think a true freshman. I don't think Oregon's ever done this before start a season over a six year senior. Who's like five years older than him. Um, so like there certainly was a, a contingent of fans that were like pushing for it, but I don't necessarily think that was ever really steeped in reality too much. Um, with that said, what Cristobal said about Ty Thompson gets you really excited about what the future might hold. Um, I'll read, I'll just read a couple of quotes here. He's off the chart. He's as talented as it gets as driven and motivated as it gets. He's diligent, smart, relentless, and physical. He's an absolute specimen. When he's in there lifting, he looks more like a linebacker than a quarterback. Um, he can, I think that the quote that I have kind of led the, the story, which by the way, you can read all the quotes on the site. In fact, probably almost everything we talk about in today's show, there is a written form on duckterritor.com if you want to read more information on it. Um, but the last thing he said was, we couldn't have asked for a better signee at quarterback. Ty has a monster future at Oregon. And he's in the mix as we head into fall camp. Um, 
I don't think Ty Thompson is the first team quarterback because Anthony Brown has already been said to be. Um, and I don't know if Anthony Brown's or sorry, if Ty Thompson's even the number two quarterback, but what you get the sense of here from our Cristobal is that this is somebody who has not, you know, disappointed, not somebody who has been lesser than expected. And that's significant, especially when you're entering a season where you've got the veteran guy, but then also three younger guys that you have to decide and pick from eventually to be the long-term quarterback. So I think a lot of positive things. Cristobal also said Thompson is in there and in there strong, referring to the quarterback competition. So read from that as you will. I, from my perspective, Brown's the number one guy. Thompson's probably somewhere between three and four at the moment with a chance to maybe become that, that number two guy by the end of the season. I looked at it as like, this is a guy we're extremely high on, but he's not willing. And, and maybe this is where the competition is at right now, Eric, of he's not ready to concede Ty Thompson being the number two or Robbie Ashford being the number two or Jay Butterfield being the number two, because he wants those three guys to kind of duke it out all through fall camp. And probably if we're really being honest, I think throughout the entire season, right? Like probably I could see a scenario where because Robbie Ashford and Jay Butterfield got that extra year in 2020, they could still technically redshirt. And I, I think there's a true chance that all three of these guys could redshirt in 2021. Like they could, they could really kind of, okay. Like the first four games, it's you, the first next four, it's you next four, it's you, uh, or maybe three. And then they save one for injury, you know, but I, I just think that there's a real distinct possibility that all three of these guys could emerge out of the 2021 season as a red shirt. Yeah. I think that's certainly possible. And I'm guessing that the staff is going to look at this a couple different ways in terms of the backup position, obviously, there are other contingency plans if, if Brown is replaced at some point, but you either have the alternative to you have the option. And obviously a lot of this is going to depend upon how the players perform, but you have an option to roll through all three guys, give them all some experience, but not enough experience or any of them burn that red shirt year. And then you roll into 2022 with still three freshman quarterbacks, even though a couple of will be entering their third year, which is super weird. And that's kind of the, one of the weird parts of the COVID stuff or somebody really, improves their stock and solidifies themselves as the number two quarterback, which by the way, was sort of what we were hearing about Jay Butterfield as a third quarterback last fall was that he had kind of solidified that role behind Brown and Shuck. Maybe that happens and you get to a spot where whoever that quote unquote number two is ends up playing a fair number of games does go over the four game limit enters 2022 as a sophomore. Um, and I think if that happens, and we talked a little bit about this on Wednesday's show, so apologies for being a little redundant, but if that happens, I, I could see that being a spot where, where one of the guys who's a freshman and be looks to transfer if it becomes clear who the starter is, which is why I would probably lean to, towards barring someone just blowing everyone away. But if it's like slight, let's say the, the second guy is slightly better than the third and fourth guy, I might not really make the, that, that part clear to everybody too quickly because what you don't want to have happen is what we talked about earlier this week is you get to the spring and a couple of these guys or one of these players transfers before you get into competition. And, and then you kind of go, what it could have, should have, what if that player ends up being better in a couple of years, you didn't have quite the you know amount of time to figure this out. So I, I, I think it's a tough, tough kind of uh, relationship here to walk and kind of figure out of, 
okay, do you want to be splitting these guys pretty evenly throughout the season? Or, or are you hoping to get to a spot where by the end of the year, you just clear cut number two guy and that person's getting all the backup quarterback reps. Yeah. I think I'd like to see, happen. I'd like to see one guy emerge and I, I would prefer one of them, not red shirt. So that way you get some kind of roster, um, fluidity with, with, you know, with a flow where it, it, you don't have 2022 with three red shirt freshman quarterbacks and tie, uh, and then, um, you also have Tanner Bailey joining the fold as a true freshman. So you have four freshman quarterbacks. Um, I'd, I'd like to see in maybe in, in a roster makeup perspective, you probably want to play two, right? Like you'd rather have two sophomores in 2022 and two freshmen, one being a true one being a red shirt than having three red shirt freshmen or, or one, sophomore and two redshirt freshmen and a true freshman. I almost think now that I'm talking it out through my head, you might have to go with, with two guys so that you just have a, a breakup of the roster a little bit. It's, and some of it's going to be totally dependent, Matt, on what the game situations actually call for. Cause it's one thing to say, Hey, we want to play two guys, five games, but like, it might not be opportunities for two guys to play five games. You know, you look at Oregon schedule, um, Fresno state, going to have an opportunity for some backup reps. I think obviously Ohio state, I don't think that's the case. Stony Brook, you probably try to get everybody in there. Honestly, you might try to get all four quarterbacks in the game at some point if it, if it calls for it, but then you go through conference play and, and there might be a couple that get a hand, but I don't know if there's going to be enough opportunity to really play these guys that much. Um, unless you literally just make it clear that you want to split these guys up and you start playing a person on special teams and maybe Jay Butterfield becomes the holder just because you want to splice guys out. But from like an on-field playing backup quarterback reps, I do think, again, some of this changes if like a, if there's injuries, but like just if everybody's healthy all season, it's hard for me to foresee a spot where you can feasibly play that many quarters, that many snaps, that many games with these backup guys, um, just given the way that, you know, the games play out. Now, we also got some clarity at the running back position. Um, I, I, look, this is one in which you and I, I think I speak for you. Um, we expect like 80% of the workload, 70% of the workload to go with, with CJ Verdell and Travis Dye. Like it would blow my mind if there is a third running back on the roster who averages more than eight carries a game, like seven. That's that might even be high. I mean, you look six? at the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, five or six, maybe, depending on how things play out. Right. And so we both expect that those two guys will get a bulk of the workload. But we also know over the course of a season, you need three, probably four, because blowout situations, injury. Uh, maybe a guy has an equipment issue or maybe a guy has fumbleitis and he's had a bad game and he needs to sit and you know, you know, he'll be back next week. Maybe, um, put, maybe Matt will put gloves on and he'll stop fumbling. <laughs> you you want to go down that path. That's a whole other podcast. Uh, Matt, you brought up fumbleitis and there happens to be a running back on the team who doesn't wear gloves, who fumbles it more than anyone else. So I just thought I'd, for <laughs> the conversation i'll leave the chat go ahead <laughs> i'll leave the chat but cristobal also opened up about because 
we don't know who the third running back is because Sean Dollars was supposed to be that guy. But unfortunate for Oregon, and certainly unfortunately for Sean Dollars, he suffered some kind of serious injury, and we don't really know when he's going to be back yet. Um, so that kind of creates a window of, well, who's the third running back? And in spring, I think the idea was maybe cross Patton, but I think that's probably a little bit of enjoying a story a little too much. Um, you know, coaches, players raved about um, Patton during spring ball, but it was also in part because he was really one of the only running backs that was healthy. Um, and while he's probably a talented walk-on running back, I'd be pretty surprised if he's not on par, if he's on par with other scholarship guys, which opens the door for what's the role that Brian Cardwell and Seven McGee could have for Oregon in 2021. Really quickly before I jump into that, because some really good points from Cristobal, I just was doing some math over here while you talked and also while I was being snarky on the podcast. Um, You're doing a lot over there. I'm yeah, multitasking over here. It's what I do best. Um, it's actually not definitely not a multitasker. But the point I was going to make was that you talked about what percentage of the reps could like a third running back get in 2019. Right. Um, it was about 82% of the running back carries went to Verdell and die. And last year it was a little bit less, but that's in part because Verdell was was out for so much of the season. So, yeah, I think you're looking at probably something like what you said a second ago, three quarters to, to maybe four fifths of the of the snaps. I'm getting into fractions to, to, to change up the words, but uh, that, that those yeah, that's kind of maybe the percentage you see the breakdown, the ratio you see for these younger guys. Um, but yeah, regarding Byron Cardwell and Seven McGee, I, I threw the question to Mario of just like, what's it look like after Verdell and after die? Because as you just established, there's not a lot of clarity on that. And he said, from what I've watched so far of Cardwell and McGee, those guys are going to help right away. They have elite talent. They're physical, strong. You could push them. They already know that in our regime, sorry, our regiment, uh, they're going to be pushed, challenged, and and become stronger. They responded really well to that. And then he made a couple comments here that I thought were maybe the most notable. I think to me the most notable was that Byron Cardwell, who signed just around at 200 pounds of weight, is now up to 215 pounds. And he also said Seven McGee is more physically prepared and ready than I think some expected. So the concern I had with both of those guys was like, hey, are they going to be are they going to be ready physically for this? I mean, you see what happens at, with running back position at this level. There are, there are injuries that happen frequently. You don't have to look very far. You look at last season, what happened with Verdell, and you don't want lighter guys out there who might get dinged up. I think the fact that Cardwell apparently is at 215, which is, I think, a year about a year ahead of where I expected his weight to go to be at that spot, and that McGee is apparently more physically ready and looks better, um, I, I think those are big developments here. And I don't think – I don't think that, like, for a second, like we said earlier, that any of these either of these players pushes McGee, sorry, pushes Verdell or die for that spot. But I do think that's pro we're probably going to hear between one of those two names. One of those guys is probably going to be the third player, based upon kind of reading the tea leaves. There, I do think Trey Benson will factor into this. He sounds like he's back and available. Um, I don't think Dollars is somebody that you can rely on this season just because of some of the injury stuff. Yeah, the I think the Dollars stuff really dictates what yeah. we see out of the other two true freshmen. If dollars is back in early October, I, I think we see very limited snaps of Cardwell and McGee, unless they are just like bonafide elite guys. 
but if dollars isn't going to be back until like November at that point, it's almost like, do you try and get a medical red shirt for dollars? And that would make him like, that would make him like a potential seven year guy uh, in college. If he stayed all, all, all those years, but he'd be, a, he'd be a fourth year freshman in 22. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> but if he's not going to be available in till like November of 2021, I almost think he got to play one of Cardwell and McGee, maybe not both. And then I guess the wild cards, Benson, right? Like if he's healthy, he's a big guy and is a, a stature that doesn't really there's really no one else on the roster that fits that. So he could carve himself out a pretty nice role. I mean, he could, he could find himself being like the third best among McGee and Cardwell and him, but might play because he can do something or bring something to the table that the other two can't. And that's the sheer size factor. I think more I think about it, you got to have all of these young, all three of those freshmen running back you just mentioned. I'm not including Dollars, who's still a freshman, because I think he's not going to play much this season based on what we've heard. Um, you have to be prepared for all, you want all three of those guys ready to go. Because yeah. with Verdell's history, with Dollars being, I think you can't rely on him to play until late. Like if Verdell misses some time, you're in a spot where it's it's Travis die and then these three true freshmen, and you might need all of them to compete. And and I actually think if Cardwell's at 215, Benson's at about 215, 220 on last year's roster. Physically, you at least have two bigger backs, which I think was a concern when Cyrus took off because he'd been the goal line back, he'd been the short yardage running back, and with Verdell and Die, who are again shorter in stature, Verdell certainly stocky in build, thick in build, not exactly like a skinny guy, but not a huge guy. And one with injury history, you don't necessarily want him smashing into the line of scrimmage four times from a yard away. Those two guys, I think you're going to see play a lot based upon just their size and their, and their, their heft Um, based upon high school film. Benson looked more like a power back Cardwell, more of a kind of open field speed, kind of a gliding running back. But at at 215, I kind of wonder what Cardwell can do in terms of between the tackles. Cause I think that that weight gain is feels pretty significant to me. We've also got some clarity. Um, we'll stick with the offensive line here for a little bit, but we got some clarity along the offensive line from crystal ball going into fall camp. We'll see if it stays that way because I look crystal ball is a master at presenting a message. And then I don't want to say he's lying, but he doesn't want to give his competition advantage. He doesn't want to give away all the secrets. And so like, I, I go back to last year when Jonah T got hurt during fall camp and Crystal Ball would say, oh, he's going to be back here in a couple of weeks, a couple of days, a week or so. And then it went to weeks and then it went to, oh, he's doing okay. He's, he's going to be back soon. And then it was, he's medically retired. Um, and so Crystal Ball is very, very astute of knowing what to say and when to say it. And this week at media day, he said that, 
they are going to be playing more guys, at least right now, than they did in 2019 along the offensive line, similar to what they did in 2020, where I don't know if we'll see position changes like we saw in 2020, Eric, but I bet you we see guys rotate in and out. Yeah, I asked the question. I mean, you know, and, the re- and we talked about the podcast and, and you know, Chris, I laid it out to Cristobal on the question before because I, I just asked him, like, how, what's the process of, of actually, like, kind of first in practice of getting reps for everybody and then also just kind of parsing through it and coming down to kind of what the starting five looks like or rotation? Because, like we've said in the past, there's a bunch of guys on the offensive line. There are five starters back. Steven Jones was the guy who – played a ton last year, quasi starter. Cristobal raved about his kind of physical developments this off season um, on Tuesday. So there's six guys and then there's these two freshmen. And then there's like about five other guys who've been in the program for a year or two or three. So between that, you've legit got 10 to 12 guys. I think that fans think could play that we think could play that coaches have indicated are, are capable of being helpful to play. And so, like, my, my question was, was kind of like, how do you process through that? And then after that, I, I just followed up and said, a year ago, you guys rotated through six. Could you do more? And, and Cristobal suggested that, yeah, they might play a lot of guys this year. I don't necessarily, based upon what he said, think it's going to be identical to a year ago where you've got a scripted rotation where the first two, you know, the first two series are the starting five. And then the, the third and fourth series, you insert Steven Jones at left tackle. Malasala moves to right, you know, to right guard and George Moore shifts to right tackle. I mean, that's literally what they were doing. And then the fifth and sixth series, I mean, we don't have to go through all of it, but you get the picture. There's all, all this kind of consultation. I don't know if it's going to get like that to the detail that scripted, but I do think based upon what he said that they're going to want to be more varied in how they approach doing this. And I think you're going to see eight to nine to 10 guys this year, at least play some snaps, probably not in big moments always, but at least be available to play. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if the starting five we see in September looks a lot different from the starting five we see to end the season in, in you know, I'm going to say January because I'm going to be optimistic about what kind of bowl game they're playing in. But I could see that being a thing where, yeah, it looks a lot different from September to January just because there's a lot of really young, talented, and exciting players on this roster. Are we – are we in agreement that we think the starting lineup for the offensive line in some capacity will be um, week one? I, I, I don't think Kingsley starts week one. I think he ultimately ends up getting the job full time at some point during the year. Um, but week one, are we in agreement that in some kind of combination, some kind of order, George Moore, Malasawa Mabe, TJ Bass, Alex Forsyth, and Stephen Jones, or do you think Ryan Walk gets one of those jobs? I just, I just keep thinking we're sleeping on Ryan, who was a really good player last year. I think actually from a PFF ranking was the second best offensive lineman on Oregon's team. It was a stat I saw. Um, yeah, I think he was second team all conference by the media. Um, I know physically there are limitations compared to like, it probably comes down to him or TJ Bass at a, at a guard spot. If we're assuming Stephen Jones is so dang impressive this offseason that he's going to start a tackle and Malasala is going to move inside because of it, which I thought maybe – I think Sala is probably better at guard than tackle to begin with, so I, I'm not complaining about that. It's just – gosh, that just that, – I just I, – I don't want to write off Ryan Walk yet just because he's a former walk-on and he's, a, and he's not physically got the same, you know, measurables as these other guys who are all 
much bigger physically um, because I think he means so much to this team. But yeah, I mean, I, I hate to do it. I mean, I probably would lean with those five guys over walk, but I, I may feel completely stupid by the end of the season saying that because I'm also not going to be surprised if he doesn't start day one and then carries that job throughout the season because it seems like the staff really, really respects and likes what he's done so far. And again, the, the numbers and the, the PFF stuff, which I'm not an offensive line expert. I can't watch the game and, and grade it the way they do. They seem to think he's performed better than a lot of his peers, which probably surprises people. Yeah, I think the the, the Ryan Walk part is going to be tough to to figure out. Um, Might be the biggest question mark right now on the offensive line is like, do you start him or not? Yeah, like he's he's not, and I think he would admit this. He's not the the most talented from a physical standpoint. He's not the biggest. He's not the strongest. He's not the fastest. But there's just something about him where he just gets the job done. He's he's very technical with his with his play because um, he has to be because he isn't as physically big or as dominant as the other guys. And yet, like you said, he graded out really well with Pro Football Focus. So um, it's an interesting one to 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 roll with. He's probably one of your better technicians along the offensive line from a skill standpoint, but he's not one of your five most physically imposing guys that's a that's a tough one to be in yeah i don't that's not enviable i think that's going to be a tough spot and again i think picking these offensive linemen and how this works that's not going to be easy for anybody there's just a lot of talented guys who are deserving i think of playing time we also got some clarity about the um roster makeup down the road for oregon because one of the like the biggest questions along the offensive line one of the biggest questions i think right now that we have is what do you do with the extra year of eligibility that everyone got in 2020? And how does that impact how many guys Oregon can sign? Um, And we know of at least one junior who in a normal year, this would be his senior year. He has announced that he's going to come back for that sixth year. Yeah. And I, you know, it was in a small, it was not done to the majority of media. It was in a small group setting where a couple of us were talking with Alex Forsyth, Oregon starting center, who was one of two representatives. All conference player. All Yeah. All conference first team selection preseason. And, you know, speaking with Alex, talked about a lot of stuff. The site already has a couple stories um, regarding some of those conversations. There'll be a couple more just because there was a lot to talk about. But one of the things Alex did say was that he had already told Coach Mirabal, the offensive line coach, that he was planning to come back for a sixth year. Um, he is in a master's program at the University of Oregon. It's actually the same program that Haley Cruz completed, the softball player, last year. Um, it's a brand responsibility program through the School of Journalism. So that's he academically, he's got commitments through 2022. And then just from a football perspective, you have to remember – this will be his fifth season. 2022 would be his sixth, but he didn't play hardly at all his first three years. Last year was only a half season. And in terms of preparing himself for the NFL draft, like honestly, probably needs a lot more game tape for that. And let's just be honest about it. And maybe he'll come out and be, if he's like an all American, we talked a little bit about some of the possibilities of this too. Like if he's an all American and he's going to be a first, second or third day pick, he'd have to reconsider this. And he said, he'd have to have a conversation with his mom and kind of talk it out what he wants to do. But I mean, more than likely, he's somebody who has a really strong season, but that's still really only one and a half years on film for him to try to go to the NFL. And at his age, 
he needs to make sure everybody knows, I think, everything that he's got going because his age at this point can kind of hurt him. So um, I think an interesting one probably surprised some. We've talked about in the past how the challenges do exist on the offensive line in terms of kind of there's a bunch of older guys, there's a bunch of younger guys. How's this going to play out? But for Forsyth, at least, you can expect him back on the roster in 2022 unless something changes and i will say we don't know what's going to happen with a lot of his older veteran teammates right now on the offensive line but like a say say tj bass malasala stephen jones and george moore i mean probably not going to be all four but let's say hypothetically they all leave hey that op- that could open the door for it to be forsyth the sixth year senior surrounded by a bunch of first second and third year players in 2022 and i think you'd certainly love to have that veteran presence around a line that could have a bunch of four and five star recruits we also got some clarity, or maybe we – I kind of feel like we didn't get clarity with KT. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what we want to do with that. I wrote a story because I asked the question, but it's kind of like we're in the same spot. Of it, Did he have a position change? Did he not have a position change? Kind of goes with what I thought all along was he spilled some beans way earlier than expected, and they're trying to backtrack it as much as they can, and now it's just obvious that's what they're doing. Yeah, I think so. He back in – Early April, he came in, guns a-blazing. I've made a position change. I'm playing outside linebacker. I'm so excited. This is what's happening. And then the next time we speak with Mario Cristobal, he's like, hey, wait, let's slow down there. I don't, I don't think it's a position change. It's more like he's just standing up. And then we don't talk to KT for a while until Tuesday. And I figured, hey, let's follow up on that. And I asked him. And his response was, a lot of people have gotten that part confused. I haven't had a position change. All I'm doing is standing up now. It's just something that's changed my game. It made me, it's made me more versatile. And it's something else to add to my resume. Roles, responsibilities have stayed the same. I'm just standing up now. So, I mean, there's there's kind of the Cliff Notes version to this. My guess is that the roles and responsibilities are going to be very, very similar, but I don't think they're going to be identical. And I do think Tim Drew has at least said once that they will at times use him as a decoy where he drops into coverage a little bit. That's like something Drew said on the record. I think the thing Mario Cristobal and KT are now kind of trying to cover up is that fact because I don't think they want to go into these early season games with defenses are going like, wait, is he just going to come off the edge and unleash? Or is there a possibility of something else happening? I think they're just trying to be, you know, some gamesmanship here. I think you can consider KT basically an outside linebacker as a standing edge rusher. We can d- debate all day if that's a linebacker or a defensive lineman. But for my, where I'm seated and where I, how my mind, mind works here, if a guy's standing, he's no longer a defensive lineman. You have to have your hand in the dirt to be a defensive lineman. I think he's now, closer to an outside linebacker role. And you can say that's a hybrid position. I'm sure that's what they'll say, but I, I do think you can kind of consider him an outside linebacker at this point. Is that best for him? Like he, he talked about how when he showed up at Oregon, um, he was 220. Now he's almost 260. He said he's 256. Um, he also said that he looks up a ton. Uh, it has kind of, created his game similar to Von Miller. Um, and that was before Tim DeRuiter showed up at Texas from, you know, from Fresno state who DeRuiter coached Von Miller at Texas A&M. Is this just the evolution of Kayvon Thibodeau or do you feel like this maybe could be, Hey, we need to get our best 11 on the field. I think it probably coincides with a couple of things. First, DeRuiter is going to have different schematic preferences and i'm sure he comes in going i'd like to have that player standing i'd like to have i'd like to have a that supposed defensive lineman i'd like to have that guy standing a little bit more and then you go oh well you've got thibodeau in that spot and he can certainly do a lot more things than he's been doing and you just kind of build from there and i do think thibodeau did make the point 
in March when he was first asked about this, that from a professional perspective, this is probably closer to where he's playing because of his weight constraints. Like you said, 255 is plenty big for an outside linebacker. It's not very big for a hand-in-the-dirt defensive end. At this point in time, you don't see that a lot. You, You certainly will see some players play like that, but you know, you don't see a lot of the Dwight Freeney, Javon curses, put their hand in the dirt quite as much anymore where they're 250, you know, 260. These guys are usually bigger. So I do think there's a benefit from a professional perspective of him playing standing a little bit. Um, I'll, I'll be really, con- I'd be really curious to see how this plays out. I mean, I, I'm very optimistic that they're going to maximize him. And if they don't, that's going to be honestly a pretty big red flag. Like if, if this season ends and it's like, wow, KT was a big disappointment. That's going to be, I would say almost more under Ruder then it's going to be on Thibodeau himself. Not that Thibodeau can't be held accountable, but you have a talent this special who's going to be a top draft pick. And if you can't get the most out of him, that's that's a, a shortcoming of the staff. So um, I guess a little bit of a long-winded answer to just to say, like, I, I think this is in part DeRuder's preference is to play a certain style that fits the way Thibodeau plays. And I do think it's probably mutually beneficial, at least on paper, that there's a, a bit of a position shift but now we we'll have to go out and see actually what it looks like this season and, and see how it plays out. Yeah, I, I think I think this is going to be like one of those stories where a ton is said about it, and look, we're doing it ourselves. So like I'm lumping us into this. Um, <laughs> sure. But I think there's going to be a ton of people that are going to discuss this, are going to write about this, are going to talk about it on the message board, and ultimately, like when we go back to the 2021 season and review we're going to look at this and be like, they just took a different journey to get from point A to point B. Like, like same result. KT is going to be KT. He's going to be one of the best defensive players in college football, but it's just getting there from a different standpoint, whether he's standing or whether he has air quotes, his hand in the dirt, which can we, can we come up with something new? Because how many teams play in dirt now? Like, (laughs) <laughs> yes, you're right. Hand in the turf. That is a that is a that is a phrase that has long outlived its life because most teams play on turf now. You're right. Yeah, hand in the turf is better unless you're playing in like what where the old Raiders used to play, where they would share that stadium with the Athletics, and it was yes, it was like legit dirt in the middle of the thing. You're right. We don't see players with their hand in the dirt because there isn't dirt because it's turf, which doesn't need turf or dirt. Good lord. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, We'll be done for the week unless there's some kind of breaking news that happens over the weekend, which might happen. It's Saturday Night Live. Uh, There's going to be a bunch of recruits on campus. Uh, When we come back next week, we will probably be getting you caught up on what happened at, at Saturday Night Live. And then at the same time, getting you ready for fall camp because we're less than uh, we're about a week away now from Friday uh, from, from, from a fall camp starting. We don't know the official date um, as of this recording. We've been told in private uh, what date to expect, um, but we're about a week away from fall camp opening up. So uh, the podcast is going to be kicking into high gear now into season mode. And when that, season mode comes that means a ton of stuff is going to be on the site uh and on the podcast as well so for eric scopel and myself you've been listening to the odds and audibles podcast talk to you later folks